Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I encourage you to pause this now and to read those. In C.S. Lewis's classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, an evil witch has taken over the land of Narnia, and it's winter for the entire year, year after year, but Christmas never comes. Can you imagine something like that? Highly undesirable circumstances day after day, month after month, with no real certainty about when they will come to an end. Normal rhythms of life and community completely disrupted with no real sense of when or if they might return. Maybe not so hard to imagine. Well, in the book, nobody except for the witch really likes this situation and everyone hopes that someday the true king of Narnia will return and bring an end to the long winter. We looked at this passage in 2 Samuel 7 last week. Remember this promise that the prophet Nathan gives to David, it becomes the basis for Israel's hope for a Messiah, a mighty king who would be a descendant of David and who would lead Israel into an age of peace and rest and flourishing. He would defeat all of Israel's enemies, and the whole world would know once and for all that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God who saves his people. In the history of Israel, over time, kings came and went, and God did just as he promised. He was like a father to those different kings of the line of David. He adopted them as sons. But then something unthinkable happened. The kingdom crumbled. Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians, and God's people were exiled. It's like all God's promises were undone overnight. Through the prophet, God had said to David, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But what about now, when God's people are living in exile, when it feels like it's always winter and never Christmas? See, what about the eternal king? What about the promised Messiah who would come and set things right once and for all? Well, fast forward hundreds of years to a small inconsequential village called Nazareth by the Sea of Galilee. There's a young girl who lives here named Mary. And Mary is, you know, insignificant in every way. She's very young, probably only 13 or 14 years old. She's a girl in a world dominated by men. So she has no no power of her own. Her family is likely very poor. Well, one day, the angel Gabriel appears to this young girl. Now, what's the significance of that? Gabriel showing up here and now. In the Old Testament, Gabriel only shows up uh, in, in one book, in the Apocalyptic Visions of Daniel, and, and really in two chapters of Daniel, chapters 8 and chapter 9. And, and there, um, and Daniel has been praying fervently. He's been confessing Israel's sin, seeking God's forgiveness. He wants God's people to be restored. And then we read this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the end of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. 
See, the angel brings a word of reassurance that the time of the people's persecution and suffering is near its end. The days of their oppression were numbered. His message is basically, you are dearly loved and God is not finished with you. Rescue is on the way. Now, here he is again. What message does he bring? Greetings, he says. O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary doesn't feel highly favored. She's basically a nobody. Luke tells us that she is greatly troubled. And who wouldn't be? I mean, this is an angel. In the Bible, remember, angels are not chubby little babies with wings and halos. The most common response to angels in the Bible is fear. Mary doesn't say a word, but Gabriel can tell she's afraid. And so he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you hear that? Has God forgotten his promise? No, it's ringing out here. The angel's message is um, just an echo of the same message that the, the prophet Nathan gave to David. Through the, pro- through the prophet, God said to David, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Through the angel, God says to Mary, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Through the prophet, God said to David, I will be his father and he will be my son. Through the angel, God says to Mary, he will be called son of the most high. See, the promise of 2 Samuel is being fulfilled in this one son, one mighty king who will rule forever, Jesus. It's like the angel is telling Mary that after so many years of winter, Christmas is finally on the way, the end of the long waiting is just around the corner. Now, when Mary hears this, she asks the logical question, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's the same word that's used in Exodus when the divine glory overshadowed the tabernacle. A virgin birth. Hard to believe? You know, Mark and John didn't include it in their Gospels. Paul never mentions it in any of his writings. Why was this considered to be so important to the early Christians that it made it into the creeds? Why do we confess we believe in the virgin birth? What's the significance of this miracle? You know, the virgin birth is a sign that points away from itself to a more important truth about Jesus, that he is both fully God and fully human, both fully like us and in a way completely unlike us. The fancy Christian word for this is incarnation. Could we have the incarnation without the virgin birth? I think so. God is God, and he could have become a human being in whatever way he wanted. But we have this miracle serving as a sign, pointing us to this glorious reality that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. The angel is right. With God, nothing 
is impossible. Well, we know how the story goes. It happened just as the angel said it would. A child was born and they named him Jesus. And Jesus grew up to be a very powerful king. And he raised up a fierce army and led them into battle against their Roman oppressors. And they took back the land and they regained the kingdom. And and all of God's people lived happily ever after. No. Jesus was the Messiah that Israel was longing for, but he was not the Messiah they were expecting. Let's look at um, the kingdom he brings and how different it is. The kingdom that Jesus ushers in, it just reverses and overturns so many of the expectations that people had about the Messiah, especially expectations around power and privilege. In Jesus' kingdom, The last are first and the first are last. You remember later in Luke, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he reads these words from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus' kingdom is good news for the weakest people in the world. And it's hard news for those of us who are secure in ourselves and who think that we don't need rescue. The King of Christmas shows us that God triumphs through humility. The transcendent, all-powerful Lord of the universe enters into the womb of a poor peasant girl. The infinite becomes an embryo. And Jesus lives out this pattern of humility to the very end of his life when instead of defeating the Romans, he is crucified by them. But what no one could have expected is that in this apparent act of extreme weakness, Jesus really did triumph. Through weakness, he was dealing with our sin in the most powerful way possible. You see, of all the kings in the line of David, Jesus was the one king who was completely sinless. He was the one king who did not deserve the stripes of the son of men. And yet because this king Jesus was the son of God in humble love, he took the sin of all the other kings upon himself and not only their sin, but yours and mine. And he took upon himself all the consequences of this sin. And he bore it and he bore it away. And this is how he brings rest from our true enemies. By letting them do their worst against him. By letting them take him under. Sin and evil and death do their worst to Jesus. It's like Jesus is exiled in the ultimate way. It doesn't last forever. We believe that our king has risen from the dead. And even now he rules over the world and that one day he will return to complete his good work of healing the world. Advent is a time when we remember that we are people who are waiting for our true king to return. That's God's promise to us. Winter won't last forever. Christmas is on the way and then in due time spring. Remember, that's why Charles Wesley wrote that great hymn, Here Comes Santa Claus. No, that's why he wrote this song, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. 
Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Advent reminds us that we are people in waiting. But we don't have to wait for Jesus to return in order to live with him as king. He's the king now. And the question comes to us, will we live like it or not? You know, Mary is a model for us in this passage. When you think about it, she was the first person to respond to the good news about Jesus. Look at how she does it. At first, she doesn't get it. She doesn't get it right away, and it's important to see that. She asks, how will this be? When you consider the promises of the gospel, questions like this are fair to ask. You know, no questions are off limits with God. But even while Mary is questioning and struggling to understand, look at her faith. Look at her trust. She gives herself completely over to God's will. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be with me as you have said. That is a model of faithfulness for us, family. Wholehearted and unreserved. That's the way to come to the king. Totally, completely with everything you've got. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. May those words be ours this Advent. In Jesus' name, amen.